This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. But they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was young, and I'm sure when you were young, around four years of age, you know, there wasn't such a thing as a bad picture or painting that you shared. Um, I can remember finishing a piece of art and I could hardly wait to get to my parents and they would hold it up like I was a junior Van Gogh or Rembrandt and make all over it and it wouldn't be long till it'd be on the refrigerator and after nine months I couldn't believe they actually took it down. I mean it belonged in a place of permanence but by the time I hit 10 years of age in the fourth grade I, I wasn't showing or sharing my artwork anymore. In fact, I dreaded the fourth grade teacher walking to the room and saying, we're going to do a little bit of art today. Mm. Uh-oh. So what happened? What happened between four and ten? I learned that there was such a thing as crummy art. <laughs> Mediocre drawings. I had learned about that little four-letter word called fear. Fear of comparison, of self-revelation, of limitation. Fear. The most courageous person in this room spends most of their days afraid of something. That's just fact. It's just part of the human experience. And if you ever want to find a story in the Bible that talks about fear, it's the one you heard this morning. Now, in Matthew's version of this, um, Jesus poses the question to the disciples out there. Why are you afraid? Now, remember what we're going to do during Lent? We're going to let Jesus pose the questions for us. We're going to lay our questions aside and let the great master questioner question us. Now, Mark's version doesn't ask the question, but I would contend that the question just hangs there in the air through the whole setting. Let, let, let me set the scene for you. They've just fed the 5,000, and Jesus is worn out. He's at the end of his, his ball of twine of energy and reserves, and he just needs some time by himself. But he has something in mind for the disciples. He takes them down to the shore. They rent a boat, and he wants them to go, I want you to catch this, to the other side. He has some mission and ministry in mind for them. Here's the strange thing. You may not have noted this. This was not in the brightness of day, 10 o'clock in the morning. It's the fourth watch. My goodness. 
fourth watch. Are you kidding? That's not the time you get in a boat, but that's what Jesus asked them to do. It was dark and it was cold. It's the backside of a pillow. And they get out there. Well, they're not sure why they're there that time of night, but they're going to do it anyway. Row, row, row your boat. They row, they get pushed back. Why? Because the wind is against them. They are baffled. They were just battered and buffeted by the wind and the waves. In fact, there's the Greek word in this, bazadadadadum. Isn't that wonderful for this? Can you hear that? Bazadadadadum. Can't you just feel it? Boom, boom. Waves battering that little boat. The boat gets smaller and smaller, lapping over the edge of the boat. They're helpless out there like um, leaves in the wind, like a twig in a whirlpool. Bazana doom, boom, boom. There's plenty of primal fears at work out there. Fear of the dark. You know, darkness, isn't it the great exaggerator? In the light of day, what is a hundred yards in darkness looks like a hundred miles. Oh, and then there's the water business. For the ancient people, water, sea, represented everything that was going against them. That's where the Leviathan lived. For them, the water always wins. Then there's the death thing. Can't you imagine them out there? Oh, my goodness, this boat's getting smaller and smaller. And this is how it's all going to end. We're going to end up like a rock on the bottom of Sea of Galilee. Can't you imagine they were thinking about hearth and home, loved ones, brothers, sisters, parents, persons they didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to. Is it going to end like this? Yeah. Problem fears. I heard this interesting man. He, he's a combination theologian, comedian. He was doing this monologue one night. His name was Dave Barry. And he said, you know, we really do bring into life with us these basic intrinsic fears. And he named some of them. He said, like, um, fear of falling. Yeah. Fear of abandonment. And he said, fear of lobsters. Fear of walking the lobsters in the dark. Fear of having to give a speech at Rotary. Fear of those three little words, some assembly required. Some of you haven't been there. I have. Christmas Eve, 1997, staring at this rather large Barbie Dreamhouse box, one o'clock in the morning, some assembly required. Oh, my goodness. Fear. fear. But seriously, these, these are real primal fears at work on these disciples. Darkness, water, death. Of course, there's a lot of fear in the boat. I want to stop just a moment. Let's, let's talk a little bit about fear. The Bible talks about it all the time. There's two little word, two little, two word phrase, fear not. Do you know how many times that's used in the Bible? Th those of you that like numbers, 366 times. One one for every day, day of the year. Fear not. But even with the strength of that admonition, may we never think that you and I are ever going to live lives free from fear. I mean, look, fear is an emotion. It just goes with the territory. It's part of our built-in God-given equipment. I can't uh, control my emotions even more than I control a yawn or a sneeze. And, and really, fear 
does have a constructive creative force. Woe to the rabbit who no longer has fear of the fox. Or Starbucks said in that novel of maybe Moby Dick, I will never have a sailor in my boat who has no fear of the whale. I mean, fear is this wonderful built-in automatic warning device. But as we see in this story, fear is not always friend. It can be foe, just shutting everything down. Why are you afraid, Jesus asked. There's a lot of fear in that boat. I would contend there's a lot of fear in the sanctuary in this house today. I would say there's more fear than there was five years ago. You remember the time when we thought about the schoolhouse, a place of security, it's a haven of safety. All that's changed, hasn't it? Mark Conley wrote that classic play, Green Pastures, and there's a line in that that I think means more to me than when he first penned it. He said, everything nailed down is coming loose. There's a lot of fear, a lot of fear in the house. Here's the thing we need to hear, though, in this story. The life that you and I are trying to live, that doesn't carry us away from fearful things. This is the opposite. Who got these disciples into the boat in the first place? Huh? Jesus did. He had this idea that there was something for them to do on the other side, and on the fourth watch, he got them on the boat, and he sent them on their way. That's our story, too. Now, here's something I've learned, and I bet you've learned about being a Christian. I have learned that I get into things that I would not have gotten into if left to my own devices. Being a Christian is not about feathering our nest, perfecting our pension plan. It's about getting into the waves and the winds of life with God. Do you know the earliest symbol of the church, the primitive church? You know what the symbol of that wasn't a building wasn't even a cross. The earliest symbol of what it means to be church, it was a boat. A boat. Have you ever, when you're not listening to the sermon, studied the architecture in here? <laughs> what do you think we're riding around in here? It's an upside down boat. Haven't you figured that out? <laughs> you see, we're, we're riders of the waves, the storm. Of course, there's a lot of fear in the boat. The problem is not the fear. The problem is that the fear starts owning us. And we take out a second mortgage in the house on the house of fear. The enemy of faith has never been doubt. The real enemy of whole life, faith life, has always been fear. Because fear is the great inhibitor. It's death itself. Why didn't you go out for the school play? Well, I was afraid I wasn't going to get the part. Why did you lie to your parents? I was afraid I was going to get punished. Why did you cheat on the exam? I was afraid I was going to fail. Why were you so jealous? Because I was afraid of losing love. Why do you hold on to your wallet and your purse so tightly? Because I was afraid of insecurity. Afraid, afraid, afraid. Now, I look back over my life, and I remember those moments. Those were those crossroad moments. And there was a path that I, probably one of those 
road less taken that I could have taken. And that would have been probably a a road to some higher promise and possibility. But I remember those moments that I just couldn't quite make that move. I couldn't get into that boat. Why? Afraid, afraid, afraid. When I was in Haywood County, I got to know this old backwoods guy. And finally, he, I guess, felt comfortable enough with me, invited me to come to spend a little time in his cabin. And I got there. My goodness, it was the, one of the most simple places I've ever walked. I don't think there was a knick-knack in the whole place. There were no photographs. There was no paintings. There was no pictures. But in the mantle over the fireplace, he had carved these words into the mantle. Fear knocked on the door. Faith answered, no one was there. Hmm. Now, is that a little too simple to pat? Well, isn't it true that sometimes we hear the knock and we get to the door and hi-ho, nobody's on the other side. The only thing that's there is what we brought to the door with us, you know. There are these um, projections, in other words, that we Put more than is really there. One of the good things to do when you feel afraid is to step back and name and note the fear and then ask yourself, how much of that is really something real on the outside of the door? How much is it my vain imagination just that I'm carrying around? But sometimes, oh, there are the knockings in the night and there really is something on the other side of the door. Real threats, yeah. Something to It's outside of us to fear. Because you and I live in a world and we're surrounded by things that we cannot control or predict or avoid or possess. And some of these things can really take a bite out of us. That's what we have in this story. They weren't imagining the storm. They were being buffeted. And uh, they were being knocked around by wind and waves. And it was real. Well, enough about that. I want to get back to the story Oh, yes, there's a lot of fear in the boat. And and what happens? There's someone coming across the waves, the Lord of the waves. Isn't that something? Isn't it interesting? This is where, and I I love the way Lisa read it, because she read it with a a gleam, and you could hear the humor when you get to this part of the story. Here comes Jesus, Lord of the waves, and, and the disciples Instead of being relieved to the fear, they just added to their fears. Oh, my goodness, we're already here in the storm, and now there's a ghost walking about. (laughs) What in the world is going on here? Mark tells us what's going on. Cardiosclerosis, the hardening of the heart, the part of these disciples that had the capacity to feel and understand and recognize God was so clogged up that none of that could get to them anymore. I don't know. Maybe they were tired. All the feeding of the hungry and taking care of the infirmed, whatever it was, they were handicapped. They were so handicapped, they were prepared to keep row, row, rowing their boat through the night. What they weren't prepared was to see Jesus coming in this most uncommon way. Isn't that something? This violated all their categories. He wasn't supposed to be there, so they couldn't see them there, him there. Wow. Cardiosclerosis. 
but clogged hearts and all. Jesus kept coming to them, and then he says, take heart. Don't you love that phrase? This one who has such a surplus of heart, he says, take heart. And then he says, just three little words, it is I. I am, not I was, not I will be. I am, I'm here now, it is I. And those three little words, and in that voice, all the fear was transformed. Do you see what's going on here? It's, it's the gospel counterpunch. The counterpunch that comes from the Lord of land and sea and waves and all creation. It says, come on, get a hold of yourself. Come on, don't you know who you are and whose you are? You keep on living, giving, caring, serving. Yes, I know there's a storm outside, but I am here. I am now. Look at me. So much of life depends on the focus of our attention. Focus on the storm. The storm wins. But in what way does the Lord of the waves who keeps coming to us in what way does that really um, cast out our fears? How does that work? Remember what we said earlier? We said about um, fear. Fear is an emotion. So how do we try to deal with our fears? You know what we try to do? We try to think them away. We try to analyze them away. The only way you're going to trump an emotion is with something of stronger emotive character like perfect love. What does Scripture say? Perfect love cast out fear. Well, now, wait a minute. What does that really mean? Does that mean that no harm will ever befall us? There is nothing even about the life of Jesus that would ever leave us to that conclusion. My goodness, he, there in the garden, he prayed for deliverance. And what happened? He, he suffered a uh, cruel, calculated death. The answer, the answer of perfect love is uh, interlaced with trust. It, it's not belief in spite of the evidence. It's um, life in scorn of the circumstances. It's the confidence that no matter what's going on around us, there is one among us who is perfect love. And what is perfect love? It's enduring love. No matter how dark or convoluted the path may be, the cords of that love can never be severed. It's limitless love. This is a love that never tires of giving life, giving love, instilling hope. The one who comes across the waves to us, heart enough, life enough, love enough to spare. Remember that little phrase I gave to you a minute ago? It was there on the mantelpiece. Fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and no one was there. Maybe, finally, ultimately, there is truth there. Because when we hear the knocking at the door, no matter who is there, no matter what is there, that will not be the final word. The final word belongs to the Lord of the waves, you see. So here we are. We're, once again, we're gathered here in worship, riding this upside-down boat, and then you're going to get back in your boat, and you're going to go out into life this week, and you may face some of the storms of life, and it may be fearful. 
So what do we do? Uh, oh, I guess we could just, you know, give little pep talks to each other. You give a pep talk, I give a pep talk. Or, or, or we could just keep row, row, rowing and bailing out the water. Or we could just kind of whistle and pretend that it's not so. Or we could lie back in the arms of radical trust. That does not mean that um, the storm may calm. It does mean they'll be calm for the sailors. Okay, yeah. Okay, I started out today, four years old, going on 10. I'm going to take you back to 10 years of age. As I told you, I wasn't doing artwork anymore, but I was still playing ball. No matter what the season was, I loved playing ball. And we loved to go down to George Forgitko's house, and we were playing um, just a pickup football game in the afternoon. It was fall. And you know how fall is. It, it, the, everything is kind of shifting and changing, and night and darkness can just ambush you. It comes on so quickly. And that's what was happening. We were having such a good time. And George's mother comes out there and kind of grabs me. She says, are you still here, Robert? She says, it's getting so dark. Your parents are going to be scared to death that you're not home. Now, you get in the car, and I'll take you home. Well, I had this youthful bravado, and she said, it's getting dark. And I said, well, it's not quite dark. And I said, I'm walking home. So hey, off I went, 10 years of age, feeling pretty good about it. It's amazing how quickly, almost dark. <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, almost dark becomes really dark. I hadn't gotten more than a couple of blocks. I start looking around. I could swear the trees, the telephone poles were moving. They looked like creatures in the night. It was really dark, and I knew I was going to have to go by Miss Taylor's home. She was this strange, mysterious woman in our neighborhood. No one ever saw her. She was reclusive. We never saw her, but we saw how her property, it was surrounded by this thick bamboo wall. And we had all these thoughts and theories about the things that lurked about in that bamboo jungle. We knew two things that were there. Two big Doberman pinchers, okay. And when you were a kid and you went walking by her place, you would hear them growling, you would hear them snarling, and they would start running and they would whoop up against that bamboo wall. Bazana boom, bazana boom, boom, boom. Here I was walking and the trees were moving, the telephone poles were moving, the dogs were hitting the bamboo, boom, boom. And then on top of that, I hear these footsteps on the sidewalk. Oh, my goodness. I'm ready to turn tail and head back to George's house, get a ride home. And then the footsteps became a familiar voice. Robert, it's your father. <laughs> Just a voice. Three little words. Everything changed. Here we are, riding in our boat that sometimes looks like a little boat, but just pushed about by the wind and the waves. And here he comes, that voice. Three little words. It is I. And everything changed. 